Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. Anyways, good morning to all and uh, wonderful to be here. Uh, my wife and I, Marianne, um, of course it was wonderful to wake up to that beautiful snow this morning. I don't know whether you like snow or don't like snow. I guess if you got your snow tires on, you feel a little better this morning about driving. But uh, anyways, it's a beautiful morning this morning, and we really love coming here to Langstaff. The uh, Christians here are very near and dear to us. We have connections with so many. Paul just told you about the fact that we even uh, had an opportunity to marry somebody, a couple in this uh, church. So uh, quite a special attachment to Langstaff. We love to be here. So on behalf of my wife and I and the church at Lansing, uh, greetings, and it's really lovely to be here. So um, as far as uh, what I'd like to speak about this morning, um, I'd like to, uh, first of all, put up this screen and maybe give you just a few moments to maybe guess what I would like to speak about. I chose four pictures that really represent, I hope they represent my subject. And I know there's young people here today, so I'm kind of gearing this towards the younger people, although the older like to join in, I'm sure. What do you think my message might be today? It really could be summed up in two words. And there's four pictures on the screen. There's a, a young woman, and she's helping a homeless man by giving him something. We also have someone in a soup kitchen feeding someone who is hungry. Uh, we also have a, a young man, and he's uh, helping an elderly person, helping to push a wheelchair. Looks like he's doing a good job. The elderly gentleman seems quite happy that uh, he's being uh, pushed outdoors. And lastly, we have a young lady, and that's really supposed to be a picture. She's teaching Sunday school. So there you go. There's four good things being done. So what do you think my subject is? Well, uh, something wants to say, you can try. But it's two words. <coughs> and uh, the subject today is, I like to speak about, is good works. Good works. And uh, the uh, expression good works is found 20 times, 29 times in our Bible. Now that, of course, I did my study in the New King James Version, so that's what I'll be referring to today. But the expression is found, that expression, good works, sometimes singular, is found 20 time, 29 times in our Bible. And all but one of those references are in the New Testament. And it's found most frequently in the following books. So I've singled out a few books here where uh, it's found most frequently. And the First of all, five times you'll find it in the Gospels. You might have thought more, but only five times in the Gospels. You'll find that expression six times in 1 Timothy, and you'll find that expression six times in the book of Titus. And today, what I would like to focus on is just four simple thoughts about good works from the book of Titus. So I don't know if you've ever you've uh, taken the time uh, to uh, look at this little expression, good works, and how it's used and found in Titus. But I think it's quite interesting, and I'd like to speak about that today. Now, just before we do, I'd just like to back up a minute and uh, just, just talk about two very foundational things about good works or works in general. Uh, and I don't think I really need to say this in a church like this that has uh, good teaching, but uh, I think it's important nonetheless to establish that. I mean, first of all, our salvation our acceptance with God is not based on good works. It's not based on works at all. I think the clearest scripture in all the Bible that makes that crystal clear is this one, Ephesians 2 and 8. 
In verse 9 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now Sean was talking about that. No, not Sean, sorry. Was it Sean? Yeah, the gift. <laughs> Thank you. The gift. Short to remember. Um, and, uh, you know, the gift, a gift of God is eternal life. God gave his son for God so loved the world and gave his only son. So that's what this verse is saying, that we've been saved by grace through faith. And it's not of us. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. So first of all, I think it's very important to establish works have no place in our salvation. Works have no place to please God. God says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Everything begins with faith. So if there's somebody in our audience uh, and at home, I should have greeted those at home too. So greetings to those at home. I can't see you, but I hear you're there and I see some names on the screen. So nice to see you. Nice to see your names this morning. So uh, the first most important thing I want to establish, I think that the scriptures teach, is that, uh, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The very first thing we can ever do to please God is put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this verse is saying. Okay. There are many religions in the world, not many, I would say most religions in the world, and even today, you know, we talk about religions assuming that somehow every person we meet belongs to some kind of religion. That's not the case today. Many people have no connection, interest, or association with any church at all, don't even know much about God. But your average person on the street has this concept that somehow, I, I as a human being, I do good things to other human beings, and somehow if there's a God, he likes that. He's pleased with me. He's pleased with me. And therefore, if I do lots of good works, then somehow that will earn my way to if there is a heaven and there's a, a place where, you know, it's this idea that good works pleases God. Well, you know, this verse says that good works don't get us to God. Okay, that's not what, and I want to make that very, very clear. That little uh, picture there is just really the concept that, you know, things like good deeds and money and religion and all these things will somehow bridge the gap between me and God. You know, because of our sin, we're separated from God, and somehow I can bridge that gap by good works. That's not true. Okay, and this verse makes that very clear. Now, having said that, the very next verse in Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For we are his workmanship, that of course is reference to God, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So when a person gets saved, when a person puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they become a born-again believer, and this verse is saying you are really a new creature, and this new person that God has created is really created for good works, <laughs> for good works. And so it's not God's intention that we just get saved one day. We have our sins forgiven, washed away by the blood of the cross, and we somehow realize Jesus died for me. Isn't that amazing? My sins are forgiven. I'm right with God, and now I will be in heaven, and that's the end of it. Well, you know, if I were to ask you this question, why did God save us? Now, sometimes I've heard people give one answer to that question. Well, that's because, well, I'm glad you're convinced there's one, but when I look in the Bible, I think there are several reasons why God saved us. Of course, the day I got saved at the age of 15 years old, I was quite conscious of my sin and how that I would have to pay the price for my sin, and I could never be in heaven as a sinner. I could never be in heaven and in God's presence, in God's holy presence, in God's holy heaven. I could never be there with my sin. And so the day I got saved, I say the reason God saved me is so I will never be punished for my sins. That's great. That's all about all I do. I will never be punished for my sins. Jesus has washed me from my sin, and I'm right with God, and I will be in heaven. That's why God saved me, to be in heaven and to not be punished for my sins. That's great. 
So there's a reason, right, why God saved us. But that's not all. Um, what about, uh, you know, uh, John chapter 17 in the Lord's Prayer? He uh, explained when he was speaking to God, he said, this is life eternal, that they might know God. That's what life, eternal life really is. You know, the gift of God is eternal life. I received eternal life at the age of 15, and I didn't really quite comprehend that what that meant was not just the fact that one day I will live forever in heaven for all eternity because of what God has done for me, but that I have the ability now to know God. This is life eternal, that they might know God. And my whole life I've been on this journey for many, 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 many years now, and uh, that's really what the best thing about being a Christian is getting to know God. Getting to know God. I get to know him better all the time. And, uh, you know, whether I go, things are going well in my life or poor in my life and whether things are successful or failing, through all of that, I get to know God and I get to know him better. So that's part of what being saved is all about. But, you know, uh, um, the other thing we read right here is that God has created us in Christ Jesus. This new person we have become, you've been created for good works. Okay? That's what God wants you and me to do, good works. Okay? And that's why just as a little bit of a premise to the subject here. So now I want to just briefly, to put in context, because we're going to speak from the book of Titus, I'd just like to put a little bit of context on the book of Titus. It's a very small book in our Bible, three short chapters, written 19, over 19, um, 19 centuries ago, yes, okay, uh, to a little-known missionary, Titus. So we know a little bit about him, not a lot. Um, he accompanied Paul on a missionary journey, one of his missionary journeys, and to an obscure, he's on an obscure island, and this is Paul, who at this point in his life is an aging senior missionary, and he's sending this message, this letter he writes. It's a very short book. I think there's three chapters, 15 verses each, roughly. first chapter has 16, actually, but it's very, very short. You can read it in a few minutes. And that's this little book of Titus. Now, what's it about? The book of Titus is primarily about, uh, it's called one of the pastoral epistles, so it's a lot, it's really written to... Uh, um, you know, Titus was, uh, Paul could not continue the work he wanted to continue when he was giving Titus some instructions on how to organize the churches. He wanted him to establish elders in the churches. That was one of the jobs he was giving Titus to do. So, uh, you know, that's kind of one of the primary themes about the pastoral epistles versus Second Timothy and Titus. But besides that, the book of Titus, it gives us a very concise summary of how a believer should make the doctrine of grace that he's talk, teaching about more attractive. He calls the word adorn. But that really means to make the, 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 the doctrine of God's grace to make it even more attractive by these two things, godliness, the way we live, and good works. Okay, so we're going to focus on the second one today, good works. Okay, now having said that, I'd like to get back to what I said I was going to talk about, which is considering four things we can learn from the book of Titus about good works. So let's look at the first one. And for that one, we would turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 1. You can turn on your Bibles, or it's on the screen as well. This is what uh, the Apostle says here. He says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. That's the first thought I want to just touch on, first and foremost. To be ready for every good work. Now, uh, good works, I don't think we have to really uh, define what good works are. Um, you know, there's good deeds. I think as, as Christians, you know, God has given us many, many, many. The whole Bible is full of examples of good deeds and good works we can do to others. And we'll get into some specific examples shortly. But the first thing Timothy talks about is this idea of being ready to do good works. What does it mean to be ready to do good work? 
Well, if you if you study into the word, and I'm not getting into a complex study here of words and meanings, but I mean it's always important to make sure you're not taking things out of context and getting the wrong meaning. So the right meaning of what this word ready really has in mind is uh it's to be prepared or equipped. Okay? To be you know, like I'm I'm in a business context and I'm you know, I have people who uh you know, you know, I have to sometimes give jobs to and give tasks to and, and, and the worst thing you could possibly do is give someone a job they can't do, right? They're not equipped to do. What's the point? I mean, uh, you know, you can imagine being on an airplane and, uh, you know, they come back and the stewardess gets on the thing. You know, the pilot, uh, the, the, the both pilots took violently sick and they're passed out. So uh, would you mind flying the airplane? <laughs> you might be willing, but if you're not capable, it's not going to go well, right? So that's the idea of no sense giving someone a job that they don't have the ability to do, right? Or they're not capable of doing a good job, right? And so uh, this idea of being ready to do a good work means, uh, you know, you have to be equipped. You have to have the right things to be able to do the good works, right? And, uh, you know, I think that God has that covered, right? God has that covered. Are Christians prepared? Do they have the ability to do good works? Well, I mean, God has saved us. God has given us the Holy Spirit, okay, within us that will teach us, will guide us, will give us the power to overcome any obstacles or problems. God has promised to be with us at all times. And you go, okay, I think that's covered, right? I think that's good. <laughs> I think God has pretty well given us everything we need to do good works. And the second part of being ready is really there has to be a willingness, right? If someone comes along to you and says, look, we have this uh, thing, we and, and trust me, good works aren't only in the context of the church. We're going to be talking about some of these good works in the context of a church because a lot of good works are done as community, as a believer, a community of Christians, but good works are often done individually in faraway places or just to you, at your friends at school, to your brothers and your sisters, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, in many, many contexts, there are opportunities to do good works. But uh, this idea of being ready when there is, when God comes along and prompts you to do something good, there's got to be a willingness to do it. Without the willingness, you're not ready to do it. Okay, God came along to Moses one day and said, Moses, you know, I want you to lead my people out of Israel, out of uh, Egypt. <laughs> Moses, you know the story, right? Uh, how many excuses did Moses get? There was five or six, I think, right? Uh, I'm not the one, and, and I can't do that, and I'm not an eloquent speaker, and, and, and what if they don't listen to me? And, 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 and excuses and excuses and excuses. So Moses sounded like he didn't really want to do that job, did he? Right? And so there has to be a willingness um, to do the job. What about Jonah? I mean, jo I, Moses at least stood before God and argued with him against doing the job. But Jonah was like, I'm out of here. Boom, <laughs> gone. Just done. Right? He's gone. Okay? And, and, and I, I want to be practical about this because sometimes we are faced with a, a, an opportunity to do a good work for God. You know, when I was uh, younger, my brother David, I was just uh, 18 years old. I was going to the Mimico assembly at the time, and uh, I had just met Marianne, and I was just uh, ready to go to university. I just uh, was going to start university next, you know, in the, in the fall, and this was the summer, and he comes to me and says, uh, you know, we have a, a teen uh, class, and there's nobody to teach. The Sunday school teacher has left, or what? I can't remember what had happened, but he said, then we need a Sunday school teacher. Would you teach Sunday school? <laughs> I, Moses had five excuses. I think I came up with ten you know, why I was not the man for the job, you know. And uh, 
I must not have been doing a very good job because my brother listened to me and then he, he just kind of got a little mad at me, you know, like, and, and my brother doesn't get mad very often, but he just kind of said, you know, somebody's got to do it, you know, like, <laughs> we have nobody and someone's got to step up. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I took the job. <laughs> I started teaching Sunday school. And, you know, it was, I am so thankful. I taught Sunday school for 25 years and I think God taught me more teaching young because all of a sudden, I started teaching these young teenagers, and they started asking me questions. And I had no clue. But I, I don't know, but I'll find out. It drove me into the Bible. There are things I didn't feel comfortable, not comfortable, things I didn't feel capable to, to teach. And I'd say, or I'd say, I don't know the answer. And I'd, I'd cry to God. I'd say, God, I don't know. Please help me. This kid's in a situation. I don't know what to say to them. And give me help. And you start finding out your dependence upon God to do the work. And, you know, what a blessing. I mean, anyone who's done any work for God, what a blessing to do a work for God. Because at the end, you're blessed more than ever. And you get to know God through doing that work. But you see, there has to be a willingness to say yes. There has to be a willingness to say, yes, I will do that. There's an element of will. So that's the first thing I wanted to really touch on, is that when a good work comes along your way, it is God, you were created to do good works. Okay, you were created to do them. When the opportunity comes, God has equipped you. You have everything you need. Don't think I can't. It's a matter of, I won't sometimes. Will you? Will you accept what the work that's come your way? Now, the second thing I want to look at here, number two, is uh, Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Okay, so first we talk about being ready. Are you willing to do the work, right? God has equipped us. That's good. Are you ready to do it? Are you willing to do it? Now we come to... Uh, what God is looking for with regards, he's, he's, uh, um, he wants a people who are zealous for good works. Well, what does zealous mean? Well, really, the idea behind zealous is this. It's devoted, diligent, strong, energetic desire to get things done. Is that you? <laughs> the work you do for God, you do it with a strong, energetic desire to get it done, okay, for God. You know, uh, there's lots of things we do in our life, isn't there? Like, you know, I, I, my uh, son-in-law uh, decided one day he wants to run a marathon, <laughs> 26 miles. Well, you don't just decide to run a marathon. You know, you've got a huge commitment, <laughs> a long training session to work yourselves up. Now, he's a bit of a runner, and he's pretty thin. He's in good shape. It's a good start. But he still had to prepare himself for, for making that commitment. And the amount of work he put into it, I was quite impressed, right? I was quite impressed that he was committed. He was diligent. He put in the work, and he did it. He did it, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. You know, maybe you're going for a job interview and, and how much energy and effort you put into preparing for that job interview. Maybe, you know, maybe for school or you want to end, uh, get into a particular university. And, and you know, you, we put so much energy and effort into some of the things we do in life because they're so important. God is looking for people to put that same focus and energy into work we do for God. Whatever it is, whatever good works we do for God, God doesn't want us to just give them leftovers and half an effort. And maybe 50%, you know, I teach a Sunday school class, so scrambling Sunday morning, oh, man, what am I going to teach today? <laughs> Is that really what God wants? No. He wants zealous people who are energetic, who put their heart and their soul in 100% of their effort into the good work. So I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I won't go more into that. Other than the fact that when, uh, you know, we started an ESL work at Lansing, and it, it took a while to get off the ground. We were a little bit, it was actually a wonderful work for many years that we did at Lansing. 
Um, but it didn't get off the ground quickly. You know, we had some sisters in the assembly who were uh, Korean from Korea, and they wanted they thought there were some Koreans in the neighborhood. Maybe we could be a, an outreach work for them. And you know, different people had different ideas. We finally had a meeting about it. And uh, I think Stephen Vance told us, a, gave us a little bit of a demographic he'd done in the city and said we're different, you know, groups that we might be focused on in our particular neighborhood and so on. But, you know, there was one brother who was just, oh, my goodness, he was so energetic. He wanted to change the world. You know, it was just like, he was tiring, you know. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my goodness. And, uh, and you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Let's go down the subway. Let's distribute invitations. And let's do this on Saturday. Let's do uh, and he was single and had no children. So sometimes I'd be going, oh, my goodness, like, you know, like I, we do have a life, too, you know, like there's other things that need to be done. And so, you know, I look back now and, and you know, he's he's still a little bit like that, this guy. I've just never, like, I know him years later and he's he's actually the chaplain at Pearson Airport. He's the head chaplain at Pearson Airport. So if you ever need to, you ever bump into the chaplain at Pearson Airport, his name is Mike. Say hi. He said Danny said hi. Um, but he was the most energetic guy I'd ever met. And, you know, he'd make me feel bad. He'd make me feel guilty for going, man, I don't have that kind of enthusiasm and drive for the Lord. And I'm not saying we all have to be like that at 100 miles an hour, but I think the idea is I, I kind of had to sometimes sit back and admire his drive and energy because he was doing it for the Lord. Okay, so that's all I'll say about Zealous. So let's look at the third one. This is Titus 3 and 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable. Amen. Maintain good works. You know, that is not a very exciting word, is it? Maintain. <laughs> maintenance. You know, eh, it's just maintenance. You know? We like new things. We like shiny new things. You think of zealous people getting into a new work. You know, like think, Mike, when we were doing that, uh, the uh, virtual conference, and we had a new team together doing new things for the first time, and it was a lot of energy, a lot of, there was a lot of zealous people there. It was wonderful, actually. It was amazing. But it's a new work. It's uh, something shiny and new, so to speak, and, you know, everyone's putting 100% into it. But then there's maintenance, you know? There's the work that has to be done all the time. And the idea behind the word maintenance, really, if you look at the word, it means to preserve, to continue, to keep in good condition, to rule over, to be in charge of. And, you know, the first thing it makes me think of is deacon work, right? Deacon work. That's what deacon work is. Someone has the responsibility to, for this work and to make sure it keeps going and it keeps going well. And that's not exciting work. That's every single day, every single week, the same thing over and over again. You know, I drove here. If, if I just had to, with my eyes, and I might get myself in a little trouble here, because I'm in a church. <laughs> I don't know how things operate here exactly. But, I mean, I, I drove up here this morning in the winter, and there's uh, Harry uh, shoveling, the, shoveling the driveway. I had to make sure my car was out of the way <clears throat> when I came in. And uh, then I walk in the door, and there's Jody greeting us at the door. Okay? And there's, uh, you know, these uh, emblems on the table. They didn't just, didn't just magically appear. Somebody got here early and went and set them up and did all the work to set up all those emblems, right? And, Jamie, thank you, and your wife's helping you. Wonderful at uh, doing running the Zoom session, and so on, and so on, and so on. It takes a lot of good works to make a church work. <laughs> a lot of good work. And you know, the general rule of thumb of any organization, whether it's a church or, or other organizations, not so much businesses, because businesses are designed, everybody has to work, but a lot of organizations, especially charitable organizations, they often say that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That should not be. <laughs> shouldn't be that way. I hope you're not coming to the church and getting a free ride, so to speak, and just kind of going, 
this church is wonderful. There's all this, all these wonderful things. They don't just happen. <laughs> People are doing this work. People are rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty and uh, doing the work, right? And that's what maintain, maintenance of work really is, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes that work is tiring. And, you know, the elders, the elders of churches often get a lot of uh, playtime. A lot of speaking is talked about elders, but not so much about deacons. Deacons are people who are given responsibility in a church to maintain good works, to maintain them, keep them going. And God bless the deacons of church. And deacon work isn't just, you know, I mean, our churches typically haven't named deacons, although I know churches that actually name them. They'll say, these are our elders and these are our deacons and deaconesses, male and female. And they are given responsibilities for specific works to make them work and to make them run. And they're, they're there every week or every time the doors are open, they're there. So <clears throat> I just want to, uh, you know, highlight on this particular point, maintaining good works may not be exciting, but it's so necessary, okay? And they are good works, right? They are good works. So I'd like to move on to my fourth and final one. And uh, because I think in many ways this is the one that has really impressed me lately, Titus 2 and 7, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So this fourth and final one speaks about a pattern of good works. Well, what is a pattern? Okay, well, I guess if there are people who sew, I always think of a pattern when my mom used to sew and my sister used to sew, and I think about patterns when they make But really, the idea of a pattern is really an example or a model for imitation. That's what it is. It's a model to be imitated. Okay, that's what a pattern is. And so what does what is God really saying here? Take a careful note of this verse here. It says, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern. <laughs> we are the pattern. Okay? And and what do you mean a pattern? We are a pattern of good works. Well, we are to be an example of good works. And you know what? God understands humans. And one of the easiest ways for us to learn is watching someone else do it, isn't it? Right? Okay, we were, uh, my son was uh, celebrating his uh, 30th birthday. Actually, we were at a rink last night. I think he's been celebrating it for a week, a whole week, actually. But Saturday somehow was still his birthday, and there was a rink was rented, uh, one of these training rinks, and all the little kids were on there. And, uh, you know, you're trying to, how do you teach a three-year-old how to skate? You know, it's been a long time since I've been that. Bad. And, you know, so you're trying to go like this. <laughs> I'll show you here. Try to push your, you know. A pattern. You want an example. You want to see it. You want to see it in front of you. That's how you do it, right? And so God understands that. So, you know, the world thinks, um, you, you know, the, uh, so, you know, one of the ways is you, how many people have gone on YouTube to see how you do something? Have you ever gone on YouTube? They, I don't know how to do this. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let me go on YouTube. <laughs> ah, that's how you do it. There. Like, it's, it's just the way we learn, right? It's the way we learn. And so God is saying, I want you. You as a Christian to be a pattern, an example of good works for others. I want others to look at you and say, and you know, didn't the Lord do that? Didn't the Lord say, uh, uh, in, um, uh, John 15, 23, love one another as I have loved you, right? The people who saw the Lord and how he loved others. Didn't he say in, uh, John 13, 14, he said, uh, if I as your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to do the same. You ought to wash other people's feet the way I did you. I'm your Lord and Master. 
But, but I, I decided I would serve you very humbly and wash your feet. So you go do the same. That's how you should treat other believers, the way I did. Uh, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me, follow me, just the way I imitate Christ. So Christ was the start. Christ showed us all how to do it. Paul picked up on that and said, I'm imitating Christ, now you imitate me. I'm doing what Christ did, now you do what I do. Right? And then Paul, when he talked to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, he said, Timothy, you be an example to the believers in, in word and conduct, not just what you say, but in word and conduct, in love and spirit and faith and purity. Every aspect of your Christian life, what you say, what you do, how you behave yourself, your moral life, you be that example to others. See, Paul was getting old at this point. He's saying, you know, we've got to keep the churches going. We, we need more examples in the church. I'm going to teach Timothy to do what I did so he can teach others. And you see, that's how it works. <laughs> and, you know, if you want to know how to best influence others, you know, it's kind of like parents. There's parents here in the room. I mean, people have asked me, like, well, how do you raise your children? How do you, well, I mean, children are not always good listeners, but they're awfully good imitators. I'm sure you've heard that many times, right? They're good imitators. <laughs> like, some parents, if parents don't, if parents don't treat the church important and don't bother to ever come to the meetings and don't care, like, do you think your kids are going to learn? Like, do you think your kids are going to be any better than that? If you're faithful and dedicated and devoted to the church and to the Lord, they'll see that and they will have a better chance to emulate that, right? And they talk about how to influence, you know, the world has a different idea of influencers. You know, like, um, I was looking and, uh, you know how the world, uh, views influencers? They say, uh, the world's greatest influencers. I love that. The world's greatest influencers because they have the most followers on social media. <laughs> okay. Do you know who, you know who has the most followers on social media? Does anybody know? Uh, one point, no, 517 million followers on social media. You know who that is? Cristiano Ronaldo. For, the, for those who don't know, soccer player. And yes, he's very good looking too. <clears throat> and he's got flat abs too. So anyways, I'm sure those are all reasons. <laughs> I'm sure those are all reasons. He's such a great influence. 500 million followers. People follow him all around the world. Number two, 455 million. Anyone know? Justin Bieber. Okay, all these young kids. Who are those guys? All those Justin Bieber. Anyways, people like Taylor Swift, uh, number five, and Dwayne Johnson, The Rocks, number six, and so on. You know, how many social media followers do you have? That means you're a great influencer because you get an opportunity to influence so many people. Well, I don't think that's completely right. Well, obviously, you don't as Christians because, uh, you know, in contrast, uh, the Lord, I think he had 12 followers, right? <laughs> he chose 12. So it's quality over quantity or something, right? Or the power of God because God chose 12 people to follow him. And for three years, and from there, in the Holy Spirit of God, the gospel spread all over. So, you know, don't underestimate the power of a mentor. A mentor. That's what this verse is about. A pattern of good works. You and I are being read all the time. And we shouldn't do it because we're being read. We should do it because we fundamentally understand that is the way to teach others, by example, better than any other way. Right? You do it first. You show them what it is. Are you a leader in a church? You're not a boss. Are you a leader? You lead like Christ led, led servant leadership. You do it the way Christ did it, and so on. So that's, I think that's enough to say about that one. So in summary, there were four things in Titus. Titus 3 and 1, we read about being ready for good works. We're equipped. We have everything we need. And I didn't talk, by the way, about spiritual gifts, because <laughs> that's a huge subject. It's another subject for another day, spiritual gifts. 
But you would be surprised if you went to the three main readings on spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, and you read all the lists, and it gets complicated because some of those lists were temporary gifts that, you know, and so on and so forth. We don't want to get into all that today. But if you read those lists, I like the list in Romans chapter 12 because there you read of gifts that you would be a little bit surprised about that maybe you don't think about as spiritual gifts, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. God identifies those as gifts. Basic, basic things that are necessary. Like anybody can do that. Can you show mercy to someone? Yes. Can you, uh, can you give when someone has a need and the need's in front of you? That's James talks a lot about that. What kind of a Christian am I if I see you have a need and you're hungry and you're thirsty, you need to be clothed, and I say, God be with you? <laughs> no. Okay, the Lord didn't do that, and we're not supposed to do that either. So, that's about being ready for good works. We have everything we need, including spiritual gifts. Uh, being zealous for good works, energetic to do it with all our heart, to maintain good works, to be ready to do it on a regular, consistent basis, and a pattern of good works to understand about the importance of being example. So I'm just going to close with this final slide. Why should we do good works? You know, when I was a kid, my parents told me that I drove them crazy. I always had to know why. Okay, why? And uh, because I feel better when I know why. For some reason, I just, oh, okay, makes sense. I understand. I'll do that. <laughs> I know why. So here's a few reasons. This is not an exhaustive list, but why should we do good works? Well, first of all, it's God's will for us. Do we want to do God's will? He says, we read that in Ephesians 2 and 10. We were created for good works. That's what God wants us to do. Secondly, it shows the genuineness or the reality of our faith, right? James talks about that. I will show you my faith by my works. And lastly, Matthew 3, this is out of the lips of the Lord himself. He said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. <laughs> you know, somehow people seem to think that you do stuff for the Lord, it's all done in secret. Well, giving alms and stuff, yeah, there is a portion of what we do for the Lord. We don't get on a rooftop and tell everybody I gave money to someone or what I did, That you know, these sort of things. God talked about when you're giving alms, that don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. But good works, God makes it very clear. They will see your good works, right? People will see and and give glory to your Father in heaven. You know, we we all talk about how important loving one another, loving one another. We were just studying in our uh, in our church in First uh, Peter and talking about loving one another fervently and what that means and what that looks like. And yes, how essential love is in the church. Nothing functions without love, right? Nothing. It's not even even our works don't matter if we don't do it if you do it for the wrong motive and the wrong reasons. We want to do this out of love and devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. But you see, when it comes to love, it says, the Lord said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you love one another. So when when there's a, a, a good relationship between people and other people notice, whoa, whoa, you, there's something special here. There's something different here. You guys really truly love and care for one another. That's special. And people recognize. That's how they know we're the Lord's disciples. But in this case, it's, it's more than just knowing we're God's disciples. When they see your good works, what happens? They give glory to God. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time.